0: 100 Stories is a new video and podcast series that's intended to provide a platform for people of colour to share their experiences of prejudice and journeys to success.
1: So I'm Jamila uh, from Sussex Innovation and I'm here on this 100 Stories episode interviewing Mo um, from Watch This Space. So feel free to introduce yourself Mo.
2: Hi, yeah, I'm Mo from Watch This Space. i um, looking forward
1: to this. Yeah. Yeah, it's very exciting. I think you're going to be our first official guest. So, oh, congratulations. <laughs> so, we're just going to talk a bit about Mo's life and, you know, where she's come from. And, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. So, first and foremost, I guess, just kind of tell me about where you're from, where you grew up, you know, your childhood,
2: yep. parents. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So my parents um, are from India. They are from uh, Calcutta in India and um, they um, got married there and my dad um, was a doctor. So at the time, England needed doctors. Um, and there was a lot of kind of advertising, come to your Commonwealth home. Um, and by then, my uncle, so my mum's brother, was already living in London. So they decided to, they were actually wanted to live in America. That was the original plan. And it was oh. like, come, come to England en route and see the family and kind of see England. And my dad actually had a job at a hospital in America. So I could have been American. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they got to England. Um, at the time, they're called the three pound generation. You're only allowed to bring three pounds each. That's all they came with. Um, And I've I've grown up my whole life hearing them talk about the three pounds they came with and how they made a life here. Um, And so they arrived in England. Um, It wasn't what they were expecting. It was, they arrived in December, which isn't a great month to arrive from India to (laughs) London, um, sort of descended and it was cold and dark and there was no kind of central heating in places and there was was a lot of racism, so they would try and rent rooms like in in houses and there would be signs up in the window saying no colours. So it was like pretty harsh times. This was 1969, so it was like really quite harsh times. Um, So having got all these doctors over here, um, when they arrived, actually life was quite hard for them. So my parents actually travelled around quite a lot because my dad had worked in different hospitals. Um, kind of around London but then a bit around the country as well because what you what happened in those times is immigrant doctors would only be able to get jobs in the places where other people didn't want to work mostly so right job ads would say things like you know British born applicants only and things like that so it was quite hard times so um At some point, my parents decided to get out of London, um, because there was a lot of racism there. My family, uncles and aunts and everything were all in London. And my parents decided to move, do something completely different and move out. So um, I grew up in a very small town called Lowestoft, which is in East Anglia in Suffolk. It's it's the round bit on the side of England. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I grew up. And it's because my parents just decided to... Get away from all of that and go somewhere completely different, and it meant we had a very different um, upbringing. So, to people that lived in London. So, in the small town where I grew up, my dad was the doctor there. He was the GP, and he, you know, he saw families. You know, he would see them be born and was their doctor right till they grew up and everything. And That's we, so sweet, yeah. And we were we were the only Indian family in town. So it was quite different, I think, to the experience where um, that people had in places like London. So mostly people were interested and would want to know about us, um, and you know wanted to know, like wanted to try food that was my mum would cook and things like that. So it was mostly quite a nice existence in that respect. Um, but you know there were there were problems along the way too at school and things like that. But it was a funny time because um, gradually more people would come who were from India, and so doctors in the hospital would um, like look up names in the register and if they saw someone indian sounding they just contact them so we <laughs> Dad used to work in the hospital as well so we used to have like random people coming around for dinner that they'd never met because they were indian
1: oh i love that that must have been so nice actually because it's yeah and it when was, you're it not was, surrounded yeah, by like a lot of people that look like you it's kind of like oh hi like let's just be
2: friends yeah. anyway <laughs> Yeah, and it was for the community and the food, and it helped those people deal with racism they did face. Um, and it was, yeah, so it kind of grew and grew from there. And so, you know, my parents settled there, made lots of friends there. And it was always, for me, felt like there was life in East Anglia that was quite, you know, quite quiet and things like that. And then I would go to London to see my family all my uncles and aunts and lots of cousins and things and we'd or maybe go to something like a festival like a Hindu festival and it would just be such a contrast because it would be so noisy
0: and yeah. like it's all about
2: noise and fun and food and all of that and lots of a real contrast yeah well yeah. I'd like to hear more about your school experience
1: tell us about you know like how yeah. was school for you personally
2: Um, Yeah, so I went to an all girls school. um, And it was, um, I don't have great memories of it. It was um, there. Most people were white. Um, It was very much about that kind of culture. Um, You know, I remember like a music class where a music teacher was talking about whether you'd watch last night of the proms and i was like i don't even know what that is and it was kind of <laughs> everybody would laugh at you um and they would do things like not be able to say my name properly it's why I short my full name is actually not mo it's Mo Shimi. and i always oh, shortened wow. it from school because mm. they would like get to my name in the register and so we don't know how to say that and you know it wasn't a, a great experience they did I, I guess the whole thing was built around everyone being very similar and everyone being the same and I wasn't sporty yeah. and I wasn't you know those things so I was different um and I think it actually shaped who I am because actually I like being the person that's different mm. since then and I you know I'm quite happy to disagree with people and things like that and I think it and comes not like from- the same things and stuff exactly I think it comes from all of that where I guess as a kid I learned to how to deal with being the one that was different. that's when I then came to Brighton I came to Sussex University in Brighton um to study English and um that was amazing from day one I absolutely loved it because I chose Sussex deliberately because I knew it had a reputation for kind of activism and like student politics and that there was lots of international students and I loved it from day one so I um, studied all sorts of interesting literature kind of black women's writing Caribbean literature and um, Indian writers um, and it was just quite eye-opening that I was suddenly amongst a really international community and everyone was different and people liked talking politics and you know it just felt like so much more that I could be myself than school years. Definitely. What happened after university? Did you know what you wanted yeah. to do when you left, or <laughs> did you have no. a plan? Like many A five-year plan. Yeah, I didn't really have a plan. So um, then I went to a company called um, ETV, who are in the science and te- technology company, and that was eye-opening because um, they're not diverse at all. Oh, at all. Um, so I'm trying to think how many people they had there then. A few thousand, and maybe twenty percent were women. And of those women, a lot were in the sort of lower level roles. So um, that company, I did really well there. And um, I really, because the team I joined was a sales team of all men. Mm. And actually my first interview there, um, I remember what the guy said to me that was interviewing me. Oh, we've never employed a woman in this role before. And I was like, okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Not well, off to a great start. <laughs> yeah and I have this thing when people say things like that I have to prove them wrong so mm. I was Good like, though. that is the best way to be I was determined to do well in that role and I um I did well I sold a lot I ended up outselling everyone in the team I won the salesperson of the year award at the corporation mm. they had like a whole maybe 60 70 salespeople. you know I did really well and like, I closed like the biggest deal in their company's history and things like My that gosh. I was like yeah I'll show you all <laughs> <laughs> well um, done yeah, so then I got promoted a couple of times, and I ended up in um, a great role, which was vice president of sales and marketing, and I had an international team, so I had a team in the US, a team in Asia, a team in Europe, I was traveling a lot, um, wasn't at home that much, it was, um, now I look back on it, I don't know how I used to do all of that. <laughs> yeah, that is like jet
1: setter, the jet set lifestyle. yeah. And yeah. a, that's a lot as well. I mean, how what was that like managing different teams literally around the world in different time zones that sounds crazy
2: i mean it's, it was brilliant in lots of ways because you got to talk to different people all around the world and it was fantastic and they're all so different it was brilliant but it was really stressful so i'd have like the asia team somebody would want to call me early in the morning and then somebody in the us would want to speak to me in the evening like in california it's a mm. different time zone and then on the days when i went to the office i'd have to leave brighton by about 6 30 in the morning and I wouldn't be back until about you know 7:30, 8 o'clock at night. So it was full on. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> How did you have any energy ever? It's the strange existence that people that have done commuting tell you about that you you just live in Brighton at the weekends, really. You don't do anything else in the week. Yeah. It's very strange.
1: It's just on the go constantly.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So do you kind of feel like Obviously, you were saying the, that place that you worked at, the um, the non-diverse, yeah. <laughs> the non-diversity, do you feel kind of like things have got better from then? I mean, when you left there, did you feel like they would become more diverse or do you feel like
2: in terms uh, of just
1: the workplace
2: in general, do you think it's gotten yeah, that's interesting. So when I was there, I focused on diversity and inclusion a lot. It's kind of where my interest in actually working on it came from there. And uh, they had a kind of fast track leadership scheme, like an MBA. And I got yeah. chosen to do that. And I specialised in diversity and inclusion and did lots of training in it and helped to drive the agenda because they, um, they really needed to do something about it. So I think they did. So the last few years I was there, the graduates that joined seemed to be more diverse and um, they still had a really long way to go, though. I was in the senior management team of around sort of 100 people, and there were 10 women um, at that level. And then at the wow. next level, up, they had one woman who was the HR director. So there, there's a long way to go. And I, I did look up, actually, what their gender pay gap was when the gender pay reporting came in, and it wasn't very good. There's a lot, lot of work to do. So like many kind of technology corporations, there's a long way to go. Yeah, it seems to be quite a
1: male-dominated field. Yeah,
2: yeah. But,
1: you know, it shouldn't be. (laughs) There
2: are so many more, like, amazing
1: women who are already existing or kind of coming up in the STEM kind of space. So, yeah, one would hope that at least in the next kind of five, ten years even, ideally now, (laughs) there would be, you know, real kind of change being implemented. Yeah. So, um you're at watch this space at the moment yeah uh, what how did you get into that kind of where where did that yeah, come up so, in the career where you decided to to ditch the jet set lifestyle? Yeah so let,
2: yeah let me tell you about that so i it was i was in that job loving it um, and it was really busy and i was having a great time apart from never only seeing my husband at the weekends or when <laughs> i came home late in the evening um, and then 2016 came and in 2016 um the pound fell dramatically after the Brexit vote Mm. and an American corporation took over the company that I was at because they'd been watching and they'd been watching the company for a while. The pound fell, they swooped in, they took it over. Um and that was kind of for me the wake-up call I needed to do something different because suddenly I wasn't going to be at the head office anymore. I was going to have to fly to California a lot for kind of meetings and decisions and things like that. Um, and I didn't know how I felt about being part of a huge American corporation. I was, you know, I was quite senior known in the company I was at. Suddenly I was going to be one of masses, you know. It just mm. felt very different. They're a very male-dominated corporate tech corporation as well. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this now. Mm. At the time my boss was saying you know this is a great opportunity for you you know you'll be able to progress bigger teams and i was just like yeah i don't know if that's what i want though. <laughs> i don't think i want this anymore no I, I was kind of like you know i think i've got to where I, I was at senior management level got the top job title of vice president i think i was kind of like you know i feel like it's time to do something different So I um, cashed in my shares, resigned, and um, decided to come and work for a much smaller company in Brighton, software company in Brighton. And life suddenly changed because (laughs) you could walk 10 minutes down the road to work. Um, It was very different. There were no sort of corporate structures and processes. Um, the company um, Magix, who were a software company run by um, some guys who were friends, who started the company about twenty years ago. Really relaxed atmosphere, you know, beers in the office on a Friday. I hadn't experienced I anything that. like that <laughs> in the corporation I was at. There was you had to even you know buy your own tea and coffee. It wasn't there was no kind of yeah. It's very different in companies where there's thousands of people. Life's very different. So. I was suddenly like oh my god i've got all this time it's amazing so um, i'd been mentored when i was at the corporation so i um decided i wanted to mentor in with some of my free time so i joined i started mentoring for a charity called the girls network with some of my free time that i had mm-hmm. and then i also joined a group in writing called bright and digital women which is about kind of um, a networking group for women to meet and talk about different subjects that's been going for a while and got to know um rachel and allegra who run that and that was all going well until we got to lockdown. Oh. <laughs> Wonderful. During one of our many lockdown Zoom calls, we, the three of us were like, shall we try and make this a business so that we bring together the work we're already doing under a company? So that's mm. where Watch the Space came from. And um, we started Watch This Space and it's been amazing. It's going brilliantly, um, really interesting. And we all feel like this is what we're meant to be doing now. Oh,
1: that must be just like the most... Amazing feeling. (laughs) I think that's what you want out of out of life, kind of ultimately, to love what you do and and love your life in general.
2: Yeah, exactly. So,
1: I guess tell us a bit more about kind of what Watch This Space. What did they do?
2: So, we're a um, a diversity and inclusion consultancy. So, we work with all kinds of workplaces to help them reimagine what they do to include everyone. And what that means is all different levels of things we do. So we run webinars and kind of sessions that people can join. We've got online training courses, but we also do work where we get, We work with an organization to look at their processes recruitment retention do they have coaching do they have mentoring have they done unconscious bias training are they comfortable talking about those things you know so all kinds of work with them we look at their communications their marketing um how people present how i think as well with the recruitment it's not just recruiting people from diverse backgrounds it's what's the experience like for those people and how long do they stay and how are they supported so it's putting all those things in place so that we can create happier workplaces.
1: Oh, that is so important and fitting, I think, especially in the time that we're living now where things seem to be coming out of the woodwork a little bit more uh, in terms of yeah. things like unconscious bias. I think that's actually quite an important topic to discuss because I know you yeah. have mentioned that um, unconscious yeah. bias seems to play quite a, a large role.
2: in Yeah, uh, so in when we... When we decided to launch watch this space um the summer and all of the black lives matter movement protests and things hadn't happened at that point it that was afterwards and it's kind of it felt like oh we were really meant to be doing this mm. and i haven't seen the discussion around um racism structural racism unconscious bias at the way it's being discussed now ever i don't think so so out in the open absolutely and actually, yeah i've never seen it before really never seen it before and i think these it's still not everyone who's comfortable with talking about these things i've had really difficult conversations with friends too
1: likewise yeah yeah,
2: yeah. so there's still a long way to go um but it's at least a discussion that people can have now and you know you can talk to people about where where there might be things they can work on because everyone has unconscious biases it's like that's the other thing I've had to say to people you know I'm not saying I don't have any everybody has them Mm -hmm. it's it's not it's
1: just about acknowledging the fact that they do exist and like it's time to to really kind of assess and change those things
2: yeah and how structural it is how everything we do everything around life is built on a default of being white Mm -hmm. and how you know how systemic the changes are. I mean, I was reading something the other day about Brunswick Square in Brighton, which is one of the squares on the seafront. Right? Yeah. And the history of it and how it was actually, I think, 16 different slave owners that owned that. Oh wow. The, the history and wealth of Brighton is built on those things.
1: Yeah. Then, you know, it's time to really have those harsh and yeah. uncomfortable discussions, because you know, obviously no one likes talking about them you know not being a good person or no one likes to think that they're they're not a good person but you know there's there's a lot of kind of things underneath the woodwork I think that need to really be drawn out
2: yeah also how people perceive those conversations like we're not well I'm not saying anybody needs to feel guilt because Mm. their ancestors might have been a slave owner yeah they weren't responsible for that that's people in the past but if we don't acknowledge those things and learn about them and understand then we can't move on like we can't because it's so structural those yeah. things in our society and so those are I don't know about you but for me those have been the difficult conversations I've had with people where they find it all really difficult even the term white people I've had um friends problems with that really I don't know. Yeah, yeah are you okay to talk about about that because yeah I, I feel like it's,
1: the term, you know, Indian people or Black people or Asian people is not something problematic to say. So it's quite interesting that.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think terminology there. has been a huge discussion actually. So I don't know why it is, but there are some people that find the term white people difficult. And, you know, that needs to be unpicked as to why they think that, because everybody else has a label. Gets, ha- gets talked about in a certain way and um, then there's the whole discussion around the term white privilege which is so, has been so problematic there's a you know particular friend of mine who we've actually agreed that's probably best we don't talk about it oh, because really? he can't get his head around what it means and that it doesn't mean you live in riches in a castle you know it's just it's a discussion that some people find very difficult and then for me that some of the other terminology is difficult too so I I don't want to say I'm a BAME person I'm not yeah Indian yeah British you know I'm not yeah I don't want to I'm not going to say walk around saying hi I'm a BAME person yeah I really yeah I also personally have
1: an issue with that because I don't think that it's fair to lump everyone that isn't white together because you wouldn't do that you know, to someone, you wouldn't say, oh, all Irish, Scottish and English people are the same. Like, everyone has their differences. And I think yeah. it's it's almost annoying that it's become an acceptable time <laughs> to, you know, recognise people that aren't of, of white origin. Yeah, And I think that is something that definitely needs to kind of be undone because it's def- that's also definitely like a, a structural thing that yes. is so widely accepted now that I think they're sort of like, oh, well, we've 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 made this for you now, <laughs> so you should just yes. accept it, but
2: it, that's not the case. There's so many problems with it. And I think it's a way, as you say, of lumping people together. And it's a way of um, trying to almost brush away some of the experiences. Mm-hmm. So my experience as somebody from quite a privileged background, <coughs> doctor's daughter, grew up in East Anglia in a nice house and everything. my experience with racism is very different to you know a a black youngster living in an inner city part of London for example that might get stopped and searched by the police a lot Mm. you know very different experiences and to lump everybody together it's just so problematic that Mm. I, I try and stay away from those terms that lump people together like that yeah likewise
1: um I actually want to talk about kind of your thoughts on the current climate and situation. Obviously, we've briefly touched on the um, Black Lives Matter movement that kind of really erupted early June time. Um, I would just, I'm interested to see like kind of what you're, you would hope for in the future, say in the next five years, like what kind of changes you'd like yeah. to see in the world?
2: So um, I think the discussion has um, been a shock to society, actually, this yeah. discussion that's come up this summer. Um, And I think there is a lot of desire amongst a lot of people to do something about it and to address it. But there's also a lot of people that are resisting it, don't agree with it. Um, You know, there's a long way to go. So over the next few years, what I would like to see is the structural issues addressed. So companies saying, oh, we don't hire people from diverse backgrounds because they don't apply. That isn't good enough. Mm. Companies saying, you know, we are diverse because we've got different educational experiences. When they're all white men on the board of a company, that's <laughs> not. Good enough. And they're like, well, I went to Eton and
1: he went to Oxford and he yeah, went. Yeah, that's not good enough.
2: And then saying, you know, well, they, some people join from different backgrounds and don't stay very long. That's not good enough either. Why didn't they stay? Like, what happened? And then, you know, wider than that, there's a sort of political side of it. Local government, the council in Brighton are not representative at all. There's only really? one councillor who isn't white. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So over the next five years is the opportunity to make some of those big structural changes. So that's what I'd like to see. So not just tokenism, not just ticking boxes, like actual changes that are going to change society is what mm. I want to see. I know not, I've had... Yeah, not thinking our...
1: Here's a quota that we need to fill of people from BAME backgrounds. Okay, yeah, let's hire five people that no, aren't yeah, white. No. Yeah, that's not Actually,
2: good there has to be actual like desire to change things. So, mm. when we watch this space, we do point out the benefits of diversity as well. We talk about that a lot. Um, there's some good reading around how diverse teams come up with more creative, innovative products, make better, Definitely. decisions, you know, collaborate. There's all of those great reasons, but actually, fundamentally. The reason for it is it's the right thing to do. absolutely. To address the oh,
1: society, yeah. Um, I think that's what shocks me, to be honest, because it's like, how could you... It shocks me that there's people that don't want people to be equal. Like, we shouldn't even be having to say, like, oh, you shouldn't think that... Like, it should just be the norm that everyone is equal and everyone can be accepted everywhere. And it, it's, it's shocking that people can deny that that exists. And I understand it's not in their peripheral all the time. I think that's probably the issue because a lot of people are uncomfortable when the Black Lives Matter movement kind of blew up because it's not something that they have to think about all the time. Mm. And it was so in their face and like literally everywhere. You couldn't you couldn't look anywhere without, you know, something being mentioned yeah. and that's, that's what the issue is. And you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that there are people still out there that have no idea that a lot of these things go on and there's change that needs to be made.
2: Yeah. And it's people's perception of what those think changes are that needs to be made. So again, people think that there are discussions I have where they think the racism is, you know, being people being violent towards you or shouting things at you. And I'm like, yeah, those things have happened to me. Yes, of course they have, but that's not the everyday experience of racism. Mm. The everyday experience of racism is all the insidious, subtle, things in our society minor
1: comments and
2: and Just, experiences yeah yeah I mean for example it isn't that many years ago that um, I had a work colleague who used to call me curry powder all the time and if I didn't um if I didn't if I got kind of stroppy about it be like oh she can't take a joke can she <gasps> you know it's, it's things like that Goodness. that and those are those sort of small things, you know, that's only probably quite an extreme example, but there are yeah.
1: other. Examples. It shouldn't even have to be labeled as an extreme example. Like that is just bad, you know, full yeah. stop.
2: But there are so many other things like that, you know, so many other examples that I think people who are white don't understand because they've never had to experience it and yeah. that, that you know they're, they're lucky they haven't had to experience it and again I've had to use those kinds of terms to talk about what we mean by white privilege that we're not saying you know you're wealthy and you're rich we're saying that you haven't had to live a life of those experiences so again there was somebody I was talking to you the address the other day and it was getting late and I was like so you can just walk down the road now without thinking about it Mm. that's your privilege but I couldn't do that mm. yeah. because
1: it's almost yeah. scary because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you just don't know yeah oh, you really don't. it's crazy it really is yeah and oh yeah I mean I'm so sorry that you even had to work with someone that <laughs> thinks that like that's funny
2: because it's just not funny at all well, he was actually. So he was actually one of those salespeople in that team that I worked in, where I ended up beating them all and becoming the boss. Well, so you showed him. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't matter. He's just an afterthought. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I'm interested to know. Actually, do you ever feel kind of like your race has ever held you back um, in your career, in life, in general? Um, have there mm. been kind of any obstacles that you? you feel like oh, yeah gosh, that's, an, that, that's, an interesting one.
2: that's an interesting one because I feel like my career has been quite successful mm. but I it know <laughs> yeah but I know that I've had to fight for everything and it's been hard work and it's still hard work um, and all of those things so i I guess maybe not held back because i've always been quite ambitious and have done the things i wanted to do so you know if i wanted a job somewhere i usually can get that Mm -hmm. and i can you know get deals and things i just think it's hard um it's it can be really hard work for all sorts of reasons being a woman in tech companies can be very hard work um I've had this horror stories there as well, you know, in my early days where I'd be spoken down to, asked to make the coffee, things like that. And you have to learn how to deal with those things mm. to progress. And that's the world I don't want for future generations. Mm. They shouldn't have to be like that at all. Um, so I think it's been, I think my successes have been hard won. So I, I would say probably not held back as such. I think probably my school experience in early life always made me determined To be different and get out, and not
1: yeah, not even allow certain things that might go on to to hinder you know your life experiences or your successes. Yeah,
2: and um, as a child of immigrants and a family of immigrants, you know, as kids we were always told all of us, all my cousins and I. And uncles and aunts, parents would say to us, you know, you have to be better than everyone else. Like failure was not an option. You have (laughs) to be better than everyone else. It was like pressure for exam grades and all of those things, because they would say, you know, life is tougher for you. You have to do. So it's kind of ingrained all the way along.
1: And it shouldn't have to be. And I,
2: (laughs) yeah, I hope that it's,
1: it's not. And I hope that, you know, with all of this conversation that's going on, proper change can be made especially in those you know really important structural developments yeah. like you know the police or even in large corporations industries yes. that there isn't I still
2: have to see our politicians being people that actually represent the population mm, yeah absolutely because yeah. it doesn't
1: always seem like that at the moment <laughs> but I mean fingers crossed I mean yeah I know we were talking about the election before this. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll kind of see, we'll see what happens there. um But it's actually been really lovely to chat. I don't know if you have any closing remarks for us. Anything um, no, you want to plug? Um,
2: it's, yeah, it's quite a strange day <laughs> because of, I'm wanting to see what's happened in the election. Yeah. though there's it's it's, an, it's been an interesting year for so many reasons. Um, you know, I am really interested in politics. I love seeing Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand winning her election Mm, she's amazing yeah you'd hope that we do come out of this crazy year and create a better world where it's fairer because it i think the the pandemic highlighted so many inequalities in society yeah so i really hope this is the start of change and a better world i know that sounds quite dramatic (laughs) (laughs) like a story
1: (laughs) but no i i couldn't agree more you know i think This year has been tough you know for everyone but in terms of actual change and you know moving forward from this I would hope that people really kind of assess what's going on in the world and and try to to make a real difference.
2: Yeah definitely.
0: 100 Stories was inspired by the hundreds of brave people of colour who have felt the Black Lives Matter movement has given them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences. This series coincides with the increasing demand and interest from allies who want to better understand the forms of prejudice and microaggressions that take place every day. We want our 100 stories to be an accessible platform for black people in and around our community to share their stories, either anonymously or openly. We do this in a bid to keep the conversation alive and continue to help people understand what it's like when you don't have a seat at the table. If you're interested in sharing one of your stories, please get in touch via media at sync.co.uk. Thanks for listening.